1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. We can't be in
0: the same room, but a podcast can't be stopped. The cinemas are empty, the industry is fucked, but we won't long We're
1: not going out, we're staying at home. And when we watch films, we watch them alone. We sit in our pants, stick on something crap. And then we
0: hit start for a little, little, chat. Chat, little chat, little chat, little chat, little chat, little chat. Little Alrighty. Danny, hello. Hey. And, and welcome, listener, to a, uh, a rare installment, increasingly rare uh, installment <laughs> of Film Chat. We're back. Um, we have managed to watch some films once again, and uh, we're going to be talking about them. First of all, how are you doing, Danny?
1: I'm good. You know,. Uh... Everything's back to normal, right? We don't have to wear masks anymore. As far as I can tell, COVID is just over, right? No, it's over now. It's over yeah. now. It's all it's like a yet. bad dream. Ooh, it's over.
0: As soon as I get my vaccine passport through on my app, uh, the the global pandemic has ended, as as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. I'll be snatching masks off people and, you know, demanding to know why they're wearing them everywhere I go.
1: I mean, the day, for me, Freedom Day will be when uh, No Time to Die is finally in the cinemas cinematically <laughs> that has been the bellwether film release to see where we are in covid
0: well you mean the, the broccoli the broccoli bro- uh, family or whatever is is not going to release it until they they are they know exactly when it's safe and that's when they're going to release no time to die
1: well yeah either now or we've just it will be an indication of like how much you can spend on advertising and still turn a profit like it'll be an interesting some interesting data will come out of that film if nothing else
0: i totally forgotten about that movie existed
1: you didn't see the final trailer that dropped today. The fight, the poor editors have to somehow squeeze like another like six seconds worth of like new footage out of the stuff they're allowed to show. So like it's yeah, it's quite funny from that regard. Like you know, building up, building up. It's been two years now. It's like, are you excited? There's the shot of him on the motorbike. He's still he's still gonna do that. That's still in the film. It's like, Craig. He's, he's somehow even though this footage is two years old, he seems older in this trailer somehow. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me putting it onto that after the fact. What are you gonna do? You
0: gonna got, a, do? got a got a got a say got a segue for you here, Danny. Mm-hmm. James Bond and his tendency to shag uh is a nice little um segue <laughs> into uh something else I wanted to talk about. So um uh yesterday, as as we record, um I um watched a whole bunch of Matrix films. i missed the like first two thirds of the first film but like caught the sort of climax of that and then watch The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions so at my girlfriend's flat. And interesting films to revisit for a number of reasons. Firstly because like the the sequels are kind of quite maligned, you know, they weren't they weren't like ter- terribly well received mm-hmm. at the time, so it was interesting to kind of go back and um and uh, check them out. And also um yeah, it's just interesting to see how the sort of how blockbuster filmmaking has changed in the years in the years since those movies. Because like obviously, the Matrix is like an incredibly seminal film, and the Matrix related had a lot of burdens of expectations, which you can kind of see playing out of some of the choices they made in it. But definitely interesting to watch them back to back. Noticing, for example, that the first two movies end with uh, uh, Rage Against the Machine, but then the third one ends with like a kind of epic orchestral choral track, and it's like the franchises transformation from like cool kung fu film to fantasy <laughs> epic has been fully complete yeah, yeah. <laughs> um uh which was which was interesting but i think maybe just coming to them being so aware of their flaws it was just easier to enjoy them and i, I thought that the the second and third movie were kind of great honestly um revisiting them they just have some absolutely spectacular action sequences especially the matrix reloaded Which has some stuff which is just insanely cool, and I think like you cannot deny the coolness factor as being a huge part of what makes the Matrix One great. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, it's just an insanely cool film. I I don't I don't think it's ever going to be possible to do sunglasses and trench coats again and get within an inch of the amount of coolness that the Matrix squeezes out of that look. Um, but um, but yeah, the James Bond connection. They are striking also for having uh, sex in them in a way that modern blockbusters don't tend to. I think they're obviously like a higher age rating than um, you know Marvel films or superhero blockbusters or whatever. But nevertheless, it's still uh, notable. Like, I mean, it will be interesting to see. Like, will the Matrix Resurrections, the fourth Matrix film, coming out later this year, is that going to be a fifteen? Like, will there be boobs in that? Um, and like, or or are they going to sort of 12a it and it will be you know bastardized uh in that respect but yeah the Matrix you loaded is in particular quite a horny film with a sort of big sweaty rave where like they're all kind of grinding on each other and that's like intercut with trinity and neo um having sex and it is something which is definitely gone from from movies these days i think i'm sure we've like referenced this before something we've talked about the like absence of sex from from blockbusters how like they're they're full of incredibly beautiful actors who don't do anything except, like, chastely peck each other on the lips, basically. It's like the return of the old Hollywood kiss where, like, a passionate embrace was just two totally dry pairs of lips being kind of smushed together like dolls where, like, their faces don't move until they separate. Um, and uh, Movies These Days are a lot like that. But it was also, like, watching, watching The Matrix Reloaded... Like, the sort of rave in The Matrix Reloaded is all about this sort of human experience, this kind of, like, mass human connection, right? Like, it's this transcendent, sure, yeah. it's a transcendent rave, you know? The robots Where, don't like, do this. Because... And the robots don't do that. The robots don't do that, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's how you delineate like, them. That's how you, yeah, they don't rave. Like, Agent Smith is always going on about humans being, like, these disgusting, like, sweaty, stinky creatures and they're like viruses and they're so gross you yeah. know compared to the like antiseptic you know perfection of machines and then the big rave which is so opposite it sh- clearly should have been in the first film also although he does there is a sort of rave isn't there yeah, is yeah. there a rave is at a rave at the very beginning but anyway you know that's all the celebration of the stinky sweatiness of people which is like what brings people together and makes people alive through that and uh it's quite a good treatment of sex in the film really because it's thematically appropriate to what the film is getting at. You know, it's like something that's extremely human and it's about like building connection between people. And I think that the the romance between Neo and Trinity is not actually particularly good in the Matrix films because it's all a bit too um there's too much uh tell and not enough show or whatever. I think like they spend a lot of time saying how in love with each other they are, but um it's you know very reliant on kind of explicit declarations of love and so on um and then like dramatic scenes where like one of them saves the other's life but i don't know i feel like it's a bit less they don't have a very like easy chemistry or whatever because they spend so much time doing business <laughs> but in that scene it really works you know to sort of illustrate the point and like sex is not just in the film to like you know because they're having a tick some box where people have to be titillated by you know, like uh, erotica as well as by violence, um, but uh, that it's really you know used to further what what the movie is trying to say, and that's something which is definitely absent from major filmmaking today.
1: Yeah, definitely. it Was interesting rewatching it? You know, it was always there, but like you watch it, like the queer coding of these movies is off the charts, and it's so funny that like the right wing of like adopt the phrase red pill, and it's like these are the gayest films that were ever made in mainstream Hollywood, and it's all about how you know your how you think of yourself, your identity is separate from your physical form, all this stuff is just like you know, they couldn't have made it more blatant in a way. It's so obvious in retrospect. It's also
0: it's also jam packed with like kink aesthetics. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Right? It's like BDSM and leather and Like the
0: Merovingians club is just like a kind of like gay sex club basically. <laughs> like it's full of gimps. <laughs> <laughs> Like, they fight a bunch of guys wearing, like, leather masks and stuff.
1: Yeah, and Agent Smith is, like, a repressed gay guy, and it's like, he's trying to wear a suit. It's like, dude, just fucking. just come to the club, you know? Like, just wear something a bit looser. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet, you are a plague, and we
0: are the cure. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out, M. Night film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tips. Matt Damon's. Alrighty, so we've we've probably got six months or so of uh, film news to catch up on, Danny. So, um, what's uh, what's been what's been happening?
1: Well, I mean, the biggest news is that you know, for weeks we're like, "When's the Spider Man trailer going to come out? When's the Spider Man trailer going to come out?" And they're like, "Oh, it's coming out next Tuesday." And then Tuesday rolled along. It's like, "No, it's not Tuesday. It's a different time." And it's come out, and oh my god, they're all back, aren't they? Uh, So, if you've not seen it, Doctor Strange does a spell and it makes uh, the multiverse happen and Alfred Molina's back. It's not clear how that came about, but it seems like they're somehow combining the previous two Sony Spider-Man universes with this Spider-Man universe. And it's somewhat sort of cynical, like, remember Enter the Spider-Verse? Everyone loved that movie. Like, we'll just do it again. But, you know, shell out for Alfred Molina's, you know, how much of his mortgages these days. Hello, Peter. Uh I found the thing like on one hand of like I love uh Alfred Molina's performance as Dog Ock. I think it's like amazing and I, I you know, his just like him just saying hi Peter was like, Oh, this guy's back and you know, it got got me a bit of you know, got me a bit nostalgic. But then Bottom of me is like, this is so cynical, like, the way it's sort of put together that I'm not sure if the Molina ness can outweigh the cynicism of it.
0: I feel I feel similarly. I think that... It's a constant niggle at the back of your mind with the whole Marvel thing is the uh, extent to which this is a massive branding exercise um, first and then, and then a film second. And the way that the Spider-Man thing has been stitched together with this uncomfortable deal with Sony where Marvel doesn't like own Spider-Man but they could sort of got him on loan I think exacerbates those problems. And it's obviously in Sony's financial interests to tie their less successful films to the more successful like marvel films and so for them to retroactively make the amazing spider-man part of the marvel canon can only be to like sony's benefit and they're probably going to try to get venom in there as well somehow so it does feel a bit like you know poor spidey and his like friends are just like trapped in a in a um, you know in another web <laughs> a web that has been uh, created by two gigantic corporations trying to squeeze as much money out of him as possible on the other hand there is like some kind of precedent for doing this kinds of nonsense not just the um, into the spider-verse movie but you know the comics um, uh, via well my knowledge of, of like comics doing this kind of thing is via um, the animated show in the 90s which concluded with a uh, very bizarre and uh, surreal plot involving uh, someone called like madam web or something some interdimensional being um having spider-man meet a bunch of other versions of himself from different universes and they all like get sent to an island and have to fight bad guys together or something like that and then the very very end of the series features spider-man going to our universe like the real universe meeting his own creator stan lee and then, and then swinging about new york with him um but uh yeah so so they have to pull this kind of thing before like so it's not like some something that's totally unheard of with like for spider-man to be doing this um but it does feel a bit like uh, they saw that this was a thing and i'll say that as you say into the spider-verse was a hit and they were like you know yeah let's get let's get them back let's let's get them all in there you know um and it's going to feel a bit more like you're attending a panel at comic-con than watching a film you know expecting to applaud every time you see a familiar face turn up on screen like it's them yeah you know, everyone loved endgame like in endgame or infinity war it's just someone turns up for another film and you're like oh it's the person from the other film yeah, yeah. yes fuck yeah they're here shit i, I fucking love this and then they're just going to be doing that now. It's like, oh, so this is the Green Goblin. Fuck yes. I don't have to go and look at old clips of Willem Dafoe because he's just here in my new film. Um, so we'll all be doing that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I do feel a bit sorry for... Uh, I always forget. Is it Tom Hollander or Tom Holland? Tom Holland. Tom Holland.
0: I wish yeah. it was Tom. I wish it was Tom Hollander.
1: If <laughs> to he was playing Peter Parker, that'd be great.
0: He's small. He'd be perfect. He'd probably pass for 16.
1: Yeah, I feel like... Because of the way, you know, he came into the franchise via, not his own movie, via Civil War or whatever, so, like, you know, Uncle Ben died off camera, and it feels like he's constantly just, sort of like, plugging the gaps of, like, the Marvel franchise, as you were saying, and it it's a shame because he's so winning in the role. It's almost like, Definitely. I just wish they'd just, like, get Sam Raimi back and just don't worry too much about other stuff and just give him, you know, one villain and just little Spidey and do his charming Queen's accent, and that would be great. But obviously that can't happen because too much money rests on his little shoulders. Uh, There's also
0: like, I think, I think it just really lends itself to the feeling you're just watching like an episode of some TV series, which, which uh, you know, if we talk about Black Widow later, is like a similar issue for that. But when I watched the trailer for it, and he's just he goes off to visit Doctor Strange, and it's like, I just saw this film. Mm. you know he was doing that in, in Endgame and Infinity War you know he was hanging out with Dogs of Strange like they were seeing what they could do about the latest problem or whatever it's just like it's just the latest episode of the show you know it's not a film it doesn't feel like it's own event
1: what I'm really hoping is for a scene of all the Aunt Mays you know all like delivering oh, be great. different like monologues about what it means to be a superhero and like Marisa Tomei is like do I become this? Jesus I'm so much is the
0: actress who played the um the Maguire aunt May, she's still alive? She's pretty elderly in that film. Yeah,
1: I hope so, cuz she was great. I believe was there's great. a hero in all of us. And then like the the monologue's got like insane towards like the third one. Like her story about like being proposed to by Uncle Ben goes on for about 6 years, I remember, just like just relentless.
0: That really cracked me up at the time.
1: <laughs> Rosemary Harris, she's still with us. She's 93 years old. Oh my god.
0: There's still time. Get her on set.
1: Holy shit, did you know? Okay, so her daughter is Elizabeth Bennett in the Colin Firth Pride and Prejudice. The Really? Jennifer Eel? Jennifer A- Eel, yeah. Her mum is Aunt oh, May. Wow. Oh my, i just. You're, you're hearing me react real time to this news. Oh my god. Wow. I can sort of see it now. Anyway, so I'm hoping for Aunt May and also um, maybe all the Uncle Bens, just their corpses. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how that would work exactly. Surely there's a universe where Uncle Ben's alive. Maybe he comes back. Cliff Robertson and uh, Mon Sheen, they're just there.
0: Yeah, maybe. That would be that would be less morbid than having him, like... You know, having, like, uh, a field of corpses transported into his universe. He gets drowned in uh, Uncle Ben's from <laughs> a million different realities. In
1: every dimension, Uncle Ben dies. <laughs> there's no escaping Uncle Ben's death. Let me...
0: Let me ask you this: Does it does it make sense for there to be all sorts of different Spider Men who are basically the same except they just look like if Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield exist in the multiverse? Like, wouldn't it make more sense for like someone who looks the same to lead a slightly different life rather than a bunch of guys who look totally different leading the same life?
1: Sure, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It should be it should be Tom Holland. But, like, you know, he he was ill that day, so the spider didn't bite him, or whatever.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or, like, an alternate reality where, like, you know, Flash Thompson, Spider-Man and Peter Parker's the bully. Mm. Not just, like, Spider-Man, it's exactly the same, but he just is a different guy. He looks totally different, but he's still the same guy, like... You know, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Well oh, they're genetically
1: the same, but like, you know, it's just the way <laughs> just the way <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. the chromosomes land. Do they,
0: do they have exactly the same like ancestry and everything? Or like is it some weird is it is it converging in the different realities? Like what's the deal?
1: I hope there's a lot of this in the film. That'll be good. Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Looking forward to that. Oh I hope you've
0: considered a proper proposal. Your uncle had it all planned. He took me to the beach one Sunday. Oh, he was a knockout in his bathing suit. (laughs) And I, I didn't look too bad myself. We were very good swimmers. And it was a beautiful day and he said, let's swim to the island. And at the island, we found a
1: perfect spot by an
0: old tree. And we lay down and looked up at the sky. And then he said, close your eyes, May. And I did. And then he said, open. And I did. And he was holding his to review a film he recently saw was it staggeringly brilliant was it ask on poor how did Danny form a judgment we're about to hear
1: his thoughts if he does a rubbish job then Sam will tell him off so uh, another round this is written by Tobias Lindholm hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place and Thomas Winterberg and directed by Thomas Winterberg and was the winner of best uh, foreign language film at this year's Oscars uh, and it's been out for a while so it should be easy to find I think it's on demand now but the basic premise is that Mads Nicholson plays a history teacher called Martin who's at the beginning of the film is in the throes of like a midlife crisis and his friend a fellow teacher mentions this academic paper, which is a real academic paper by a psychologist called Finn Skaderund, which posits the idea that, that human beings are born with a blood alcohol deficiency. So basically we're born too sober, and his theory is that we should all need to basically have a couple of drinks on us, like 0.5 blood alcohol level, and our lives would drastically improve. And Martin sort of, you know, having nothing to lose, puts us theory to the test and is soon joined by his teaching pals as they sort of, what begins this sort of experiment quickly sort of gets a bit out of hand about whether they can sort of microdose during the day and by doing so kind of discover some joie de vivre for life. I would play a clip, but it's all in Danish and I don't know how many of our listeners speak Danish. I mean, I don't, so just not going to do it. So, um, I'm not sure if I have much to add because it's been critically ordered everywhere. I think it basically kind of lived up to the hype for me. It's a it's a really brilliant watch, and I think what's so um, what I liked about it so much is the subject matter means it has a kind of universal appeal, and it's almost surprising that a film which has this sort of take on alcohol hasn't been made before, because any film about drinking is all about alcoholism and the dangers of drinking, and this film doesn't shy away from that, and I think it's quite responsible in the way it handles it, but I was listening to. An interview with Thomas Vinterberg where he just made the very obvious point that alcohol has been around for about five hundred years in sort of our culture. It's such an integral part of our culture and is there for a lot of the great times in your life. Like a lot of people, you know, their first dates usually involve alcohol. When you meet your future wife or your future husband, nine times out of ten, alcohol is present. And this movie has a sort of refreshingly honest take on how kind of booze can kind of get you where you're going. It's got a very sort of uh, non-judgmental view of alcohol where it's basically like a a tool. You can overindulge, but at the same time, there are positives to being a little bit pissed, which uh, is my experience and is rarely put on screen. And also I think that sort of uh, take makes the whole thing appealing because ultimately it's a film about like sad white men having midlife crises, which is like subject matter I'm very bored of. (laughs) At the moment, like The White Lotus and Nine Perfect Strangers on TV, and it's just like, you know, we've got succession. We don't need shows about sad white people. Um, But this one, by virtue of having this sort of alcohol perspective, makes it really interesting. The other thing I really liked was just its depiction of male camaraderie. And I watched this movie like quite soon after watching Promising Young Women, which obviously depicts men as sort of drunken predators, which is obviously true of a certain percentage of men but this one i think is more true to the larger percentage of men which is like men are just basically become kind of boys when they're drunk and they basically just want to make a human pyramid and maybe get a kebab and hug each other and tell how much they love each other and i think it makes some interesting points about like men are socialized that the only emotion it's okay to express is anger and the reason like he's depressed at the start of the film and i think a reason why men are depressed is because men are just lonely because they don't feel they can talk about things, but like alcohol like enables you to express yourself in a way which is like socially acceptable, which is something that's rarely put on screen. So I sort of thought that was like really, really kind of interesting take on things. And it basically, it really milks the premise for all it's worth. There's like a lot of drama and comedy out of the idea, like in certain scenes, you as the audience know that like this character's drunk and he's got to go for a meeting with somebody and you're like, it could go anywhere. It's exciting. You know, it's just a genius conceit. Make some of your characters a bit pissed and see what they're going to do. The parameters of what may or may not happen in scenes just get stretched a little bit in a way that's exhilarating. And sort of carrying this all is like a tour de force performance by Mad Mikkelsen. He's just, uh, I don't know, he's just a really compelling leading man. It's quite funny in that, like, all the other actors are great, but they're like these dangerous character actors, and he is, I would say just a lot more handsome than everyone else in the movie. It's very, you know, there's a reason why this guy escaped the Denmark film industry and is working in Hollywood. And it's just like, this is one sexy history teacher. But his just, uh, I don't know, but like his sort of, the way he is such a sort of shell of himself that started a movie and also just playing drunk, I think is a hard thing to do well. You know, it's so easily overdone. And... The way they sort of, you know, and playing like a little bit drunk is like a hard thing to do convincingly, and they did that the sort of the technical achievement of their performances are really is really uh, remarkable. So yeah, I don't want to say too much about it because like a lot of the joy of the movie is where it goes because it kind of sets up this premise: everyone's going to get a bit drunk, and this might go totally wrong. And the way that evolves over its like runtime is really exhilarating. And just had like a um, I think another reason why it's come out to so many good reviews. It's is it is a bit of a sort of like anti-lockdown. Not in a protesty way, but like, it's just about people hanging out and getting drunk and hugging, and it's just like, quite nice to see that. You know, it's the thing people have missed the most. So it's, it's quite like a feel-good movie really at the end of the day. I had a total blast. Go watch it. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's
0: just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared try not to rush speak directly into the mic um don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shadow okay start reviewing now uh danny can i tell you all about black widow
1: please i just got back from signing my petition disney gives godjo her money um so i'm excited to see like you know what happened there in terms of the film
0: released the ScarJo joe cut yeah exactly the cut meaning her cut of the revenue um yeah so uh black widow this is the latest marvel film marvel's much delayed uh slate is finally starting to come out this was supposed to come out sometime like well basically before all of their tv shows i think um but those ended up coming out first and so it was like hanging around for a while and then it's finally gotten a release I paid to watch this on Disney+. Plus. I will leave it up to our listeners to decide whether that makes me a, a chump or not. It is uh, directed by Kate Shortland and takes place after the events of Civil War, as in the main Marvel continuity, Black Widow is dead, as of Avengers Endgame. Spoilers. And this one is, you know, just a kind of slice of Black Widow's life, you know, I guess. And uh, takes place between the events of Captain America's Civil War and... Infinity War, and depicts uh, Scarlett Johansson as the um, you know, Russian assassin returning to Russia and sort of reacquainting herself with her old uh, family there and an old villain and uh, kind of laying to rest some old uh, demons. Here is a clip. Why do I do that thing? Do what? The thing you do when you're fighting. In the, like the...
1: This, this thing that you do when you whip your hair when you're fighting with the arm and the hair and you do like a fighting pose. It's a, yeah, it's a fighting pose. You're a total poser. I'm not a poser.
0: <laughs> so I will not dwell too much on this film, uh, but it is definitely one of the weaker elements in the, uh, like one of the weaker Marvel films, I would say, in which the general complaints about Marvel movies are at their most uh, sort of pressing you know all the weaknesses of marvel films are present in this one and uh, kind of ramped up and some of the elements that differentiate them or like more positive elements you know for some of the movies are are, are definitely less present here And i think it's certainly it's certainly a shame but basically the the issue people have with marvel is that they feel like they're factory produced right they're like they're produced to a formula and they're somewhat samey and you kind of know what you're getting into Um, and also that they look televisual and there's an over-reliance on cgi Uh, and all those elements are extremely present in black widow i would say and it was always going to be a film that was it was hard for it to escape that i think because it is a film about a character who is dead so it immediately loses a sense of consequentiality for the for the larger story of where the universe is going you know it does not advance the story uh meaningfully and it's always going to be this weird kind of prequel like it doesn't that just means it doesn't have an obvious reason to exist you know it has a harder job to define why we're watching this film and it does not really succeed i think that when i heard that it was going to like when i heard the movie was going to be made what i was hoping for was that Marvel would continue its approach of generating a sense of originality or freshness for each installment by um, adopting elements from other genres and or um, hiring directors who are known for particular things and then creating a little, you know, paddock area or sand pit where they can go and do their thing <laughs> um, and kind of, you know, the, the first AD or their visual effects team will handle the Marvel stuff and then you know, the other director can come in and add their own like flourishes so that the film kind of you know feels um perhaps more original than it is yeah and uh black widow doesn't really do either of those things it's not a very distinctive film from a creative standpoint um uh Is in it's not doesn't have a strong sense of an um auteurishness or, or whatever and uh it it isn't what I thought it might be which would be like a spy film I thought it would perhaps just borrow from the tropes of spy movies maybe some kind of cold war spy thriller since this Russian American thing is so present in the concept of the character and it might do a lot to kind of feel like that in the same way that you know you would not mistake Captain America the Winter Soldier for some sort of cold war spy movie but it obviously borrowed a bit from certain films and like certain like a certain aesthetic in order to give the movie some of its character and instead it's very comic booky in that it feels like an issue where there's a bunch of familiar characters and a bunch of new comic book characters and they've all been sort of thrown together so there are familiar faces and like new characters but they're very much like just they're from superhero worlds. <laughs> i don't know exactly how else to put it but they're cartoony and i feel that it just increases the the general sense of this being rather like uh inconsequential and and throwaway. In terms of like positive aspects, Florence Pugh plays a kind of sister figure for Scarlett Johansson and she is very good in it. She uh has probably the best written parts and gets some good banter with uh, Scarlett Johansson and uh, similarly David Harbour as her kind of father figure He's a sort of deadbeat dad. He's like Homer Simpson crossed with like the Russian guy from The Man from U.N.C.L.E. and he's kind of a comic relief character, but he does quite a good job, I think, cheering up his his Russianness. And so there is certainly some enjoyment to be had out of the like family chemistry that's going on there. And like those are probably the most successful sequences in the film where the family is kind of hanging out together. Uh, but it really does fall flat uh, in like the action scenes. Like they're just very forgettable and if it's going to be cartoony, I feel like it has to kind of really go big and be like a Fast and Furious movie. But like when that franchise exists and it's so extra, then this kind of thing just seems rather small, boring, flat. And it felt ultimately like a DVD extra on Captain America Civil War. It's like, you know, want to know what Scarlett Johansson was up to for a couple of weeks? Like, check this out. Um, So, I don't know, for fans only, I would say. Um, And I mean... There's the last thing I'll say about I've already taken more airtime than the movie really warrants, but the later Marvel projects, the uh, the spin off T V series and now this movie, which really feels like a spin-off as well, I think they are too much kind of relying on like the goodwill of like the fan base who wants to see these characters just go out and do stuff. And they're not enough taking the opportunity to freshly define them and even, you know, take the risk to break with your impressions of the characters and instead they're relying on things which are not really well-established enough in the films. Like, one division is kind of all about this romance between um, Wanda Maximoff and The Vision, which is just not well-established in the movies. Falcon and the Winter Soldier is, like, all about this, like, buddy dynamic between two minor characters who honestly don't get that much development in the films, despite being in, like, millions of them. They're always quite minor characters who just aren't that important. So it feels like their prior appearances are... Just holding them back from their own stories, getting a real sense of like individuality or or being able to breathe, basically. So I, I think this movie would have been better if this was the first film Black Widow had been in, you know, and they could just decide from scratch like what to do with it and how they were gonna make this character. But she's been in you know about forty or fifty Marvel films, so um, uh, so yeah, they're they I feel like they they're a little bit um they 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 struggled with that a bit.
1: Yeah,
0: that's a shame. Poor Scargé. I mean, you know, she's 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 crying all the way to the bank. Although I guess like not to a, a big enough check that that she really wants because of the, I don't know, whatever dispute she has. I'm I'm sure she's absolutely fine. I'll take it all back if if it turns out she's like really struggling financially, um, but she probably isn't.
1: My favourite film stars
0: Bridget Bardo, she's the queen but she wants to be in radio, so she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end. Is there anything on your radar, Danny, that you're really looking forward to coming out soon?
1: I uh, I mean, I am up in arms that I can't see The Green Knight yet. I mean, it's supposed to be a dead Patel summer, but they've pushed the UK release now, it's not even been announced. So I'm very excited for that. Because it looked very cool, and I just like—I quite like sort of British folk law stuff, you know. I don't know if this is a bit soapboxy, but because so much of like British culture is just—it's just, about like World War Two and empire. I just like stuff which is like older than that, you know. This 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 country's been around for fucking millennia. Is that even right? I don't know. It's been around for a long time, you know, and it didn't begin with Elgar. No,
0: one hundred percent, one hundred percent.
1: And uh, yeah, and I like I like Dev Patel a lot. I like how you know his his slow arc to becoming the hottest member of skins you know he started off pretty low in the rankings but he's just i mean where's where's maxi where's chris where's tony where's sid i mean sid was already pretty low was actually sid was probably the most butters he was probably second to sid but he's leapfrogged them all he's come out of nowhere and it's like sorry nicholas Holt, you thought you were hot nah mate i'm the hot one
0: yeah sid's character was that he uh wanked a porn tragically Whereas the other characters got to fuck, you know, which was which was uh, much more because they were because they were better looking.
1: That always pissed me off. Like, I sort of generally liked Skins and, like, what I was attempting and its sort of ambition is quite... I kind of miss that in TV. Uh, and it was, it's probably, like, very dated now in a way which is, you know, suggests they were getting something right. But I always hated how, like, the lame character, the one I was supposed to identify with, like, the sort of virgin guy, it's like, okay, I'm not cool, but I'm not fucking Sid, you know? Don't do this to me, Skins, you know? Can you... <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not that guy, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I'm yeah. not, I'm not Tony, but I'm not fucking Sid, you know? Jesus.
0: Well, we're all a Tony or a Sid, so I'm afraid you must be a Sid if you weren't a Tony.
1: No, I'm Anwar. You know, I don't. I, <laughs> that character spoke to me. Yeah. He also was a bit. He was also wanking a lot, right? But uh...
0: I don't know. I'm pretty sure, like, masturbating. If if you're being filmed by the TV show doing it, it's a it's a clear sign that you're a weirdo mm. or at least a loser. Yeah. Um. The the cooler hotter boys did all their jerking off off screen.
1: Yeah. Anyway, th- this is a totally normal tangent. So to conclude, <laughs> very excited. <laughs> to conclude,
0: you're looking forward to the Green night when that comes out.
1: Looking forward to that, and I'm uh, looking forward to June. I, I'm looking forward to the, the, the disaster it's going to be. I feel like it's not going to make Do you think enough. It's going to be a disaster. Well, I don't know. I just don't think it's going to make enough money to like. Apparently, it's oh, like
0: yeah, just give me a flop. Yeah,
1: it might. It might be like you know, good, but you know, I, I got the sense all the rumblings is that like it's very much like part one, and it's like. I don't, there's a real swing and a miss, but maybe that's kind of exciting, you know? It could, maybe, He's hoping.
0: Doesn't Villeneuve have a have a bad record anyway with these darn, his blockbusters? Like, they don't make money, like Blade Runner 2049 was not a success, right? Yeah, so... I don't, don't Financially, I mean, it was critically a success, but it didn't make money, so they were just like, here's a bigger
1: budget. <laughs> yeah, so, who knows? But it'll be, you know, exciting to see a big, a big non-Disney movie, you know?
0: I want it to do for Sand what Aquaman did for Fish. Yeah. You know? I don't think I need to explain that anymore.
1: <laughs> well, Jason Momoa is not it, so uh, bring that uh, hot dumb guy energy to June. Can't wait. Can't wait.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, always, as always, Danny. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back. Well, who knows when. Probably soon, though.
1: Who knows? To review No Time To Die in 2026 or whenever it comes out. (laughs) Exactly. All right, sayonara. Bye-bye. The first TV show I ever auditioned for, my mum saw an advert in the back of this newspaper called The Metro, which is a free newspaper on all the trains in London. She tore it out and dragged me to this open casting I was 16 years old. I was very reluctant. I was in my school uniform with my mum. We waited outside the National Youth Theater in London and uh, to this TV show called Yeah I did, I did get it, yes. So it was a success. I played this character called Anwar. I was wildly hyperactive and he's kind of like that little chihuahua that keeps humping your leg. Very sexually charged and you know, was trying to do anything to lose his virginity.